We're in the book of Matthew. Parables of the Hidden Treasure. It's chapter 13, I'm going to start 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went out and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In the days of Jesus, where were the treasures of God kept by the Jewish people? In God's temple. And there are many places in God's holy word that tells us, tells we who are sitting here today, that we are God's temple. That we have great value. Places like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, or Ephesians 2 19, or my favorite is Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. What does it mean when it says we are the temple of God? And why would God refer, refer to us that way? And what can it teach us about how we should live our lives? And what that's what Jesus is teaching in these verses. Now, in the heart of Kentucky, there's a facility dedicated to the housing of hundreds of bars of pure gold. Weighing more than 46,000 pounds. Does anybody know where that is? What that facility is? Fort Knox? That's right. And when we think of Fort Knox, we often visualize it as being nothing more than a big vault that holds the gold. And yet the place is... There's... There's more than gold held on this little small part of a military base. That's right. It's a military base covering 109,000 square feet. Pardon me, 109,000 square acres. It's spread across three counties, which houses 26,000 soldiers of, guess what branch? Tank division. Right? They got a whole bunch of tanks guarding it. You need a lot of guns to guard that much gold. That's why nobody robs it. You got tanks guarding it. Okay? That, that's a active tank. They drive up a different color one every day. Or every other week or whatever. The vault itself is built to be impregnable. Constructed of granite and steel and concrete. The vault door alone weighs 20 tons. In fact, there might be more steel in Fort Knox than gold. The vault is made of steel plates, steel beams, steel cylinders, and to open the door, several staffers at the depository must individually dial separate combinations known only to them. Even the President of the United States doesn't have the combination to the vault. Over the years... In addition to gold, Fort Knox 
has also protected the gold reserves of several other nations and other countries. And it also had, during World War II, the English Crown Jewels, the Magna Carta, and the Gutenberg Bible. The original Gutenberg Bible was stored in there. And back in the early 40s, it actually, well, until the original, to the 40s, they built a new building. It actually held the original Constitution, the original Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence was stored in Fort Knox. Now, Fort Knox captures our imagination because just hearing the name Fort Knox brings to our mind huge stacks of gold. We know Fort Knox as a place that holds items of great value. And that's the kind of imagery God uses to describe you. You are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you. And that, of course, brings us to our text today. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man has found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. And he buys the field now. The treasure belongs to him. Otherwise, to take the treasure would be stealing it from the landowner. The treasure, when you think of treasure, you think of jewels and precious stones. You think of money, right? Let me give you what's interesting. And what's interesting is Jesus talks a lot about money and possessions. According to Randy Acorn, 15% of everything Jesus has said is related to money and possessions. Did you know that? He talks a lot about it. He spoke more about money and possessions than heaven and hell combined. You, you need to note this. Nearly half of Jesus' parables, 16 of the 38 parables, 16 of the 38 parables, dealt with money. Now that's a lot. Why would Jesus put such emphasis on money and possessions? Well, there might be a couple reasons in my mind, or I wouldn't have brought it up, right? First off, we need money. We need money to pay bills and to supply and supply our family's needs. That's kind of obvious. But there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. Now, just an illustration. All you need to do is look back at John the Baptist's ministry. In Luke chapter 3, this is before the coming of Jesus to prepare the way, John's ministry. And, and the crowds came to him and asked him, what shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. The words of John the Baptist are found in John, that's chapter 3, verses 10, if you want to read it. And then John answered the crowds, it goes on to say, about what they could do to please God. Uh, 
And the, what he answered him was, was everyone was to share their food and clothing with the poor. Because the spiritual thing to do is to use their possessions to help people. Now, another illustration that John the Baptist had was, as he was preparing the way for Jesus to come, is found in Luke chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. When the tax collectors came to be baptized, there must have been a rumble through the crowd. And he said to them, now the tax collectors are talking to John the Baptist, he said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. He didn't tell them not to collect. He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. In other words, don't take money that doesn't belong to you, even if you can get away with it. The spiritual thing in business is to not cheat folks. We even have some soldiers watching the crowd around John the Baptist, and they asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. Now, the spiritual thing to do at the job is not to complain about how much you're getting paid, you know, not to, and not to steal from people who trust you. You see, each of these commands from John the Baptist that he gave had to do with how people handled possessions and money. Now, here's the point. How you handle money and your possessions, how you treat people with your money and is a barometer of how close you are to God and how much you trust God. So now here in the book of Matthew, we have Jesus telling the parable about the man who found the treasure in the field. And what is important... Let me say that again. What is important for us sitting here today is that Jesus was explaining the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast to his disciples. Chapter 13 records the events of a single day of Jesus. The, the whole chapter records a single day. And the chapter is called The King's Secrets by Bible Scholars. This chapter records the event of a crisis day in Jesus' ministry. He knew that the growing opposition of the religious leaders, they were going to lead him to crucifixion. In this chapter, Jesus explained the truth concerning the kingdom, and later he explains to them the facts of the cross. Now I'm going to take you to Matthew. And I am going to read chapter 13. I'll probably start in verse 31. Okay, now it's going to be a long read, so bear with me. This is the parable of the mustard seed in the east. Now, the, the whole group's gathered here, right? And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet it grows. It is the largest of garden plants becomes a tree so that the birds may perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that the woman took and mixed 
into about 60 pounds of flour until it works all the way through the dough. Jesus spoke these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using parables so that what was fulfilled, what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Now verse 36. When he had left the crowd and went into the house, his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And then he goes on to explain these parables. Our scripture reading today, we've shared about a treasure. What treasure? What is in the treasure chest? Well, we know that it has to be pretty valuable because this man was willing to sell everything he had to buy the field so he could take possession of what was hidden there. Let me repeat, the man goes and sells everything that he has to buy the field. So what is this treasure? Well, Jesus tells us There are basically two kinds of treasure that people would be willing to give everything they have to attain. First is treasures on the earth. But but on this, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on the earth, where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. No, those words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Starting 19, keep reading. This is stuff like in your bank account, your IRA, your money market. And whoever has that really nice 63 car sitting out there, that's nice. If you haven't seen it, you'll see it on the way out, right? Who owns that car, by the way? No one's... Oh, yeah. It's nice. See, those, those, those are the treasures of the earth. Now, I need to be clear about this. There is nothing wrong with having money in your bank account. Lots of Bible characters, biblical characters, were rich and God did not condemn them for that. And if you're going to be responsible, you should put money in savings to take care of emergencies. I was Dave Ramsey before there was a Dave Ramsey. I believe in emergency funds. But the question is, not do you have money, The question is, does your money have you? Is the money, what is your treasure? Now, I'm going to take you to the book of Luke. And I'm going to read to you about the rich man. This is very sobering. It's called the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide up the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you. Then he said to him, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yield an abundance of harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, 
This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and I'll store my surplus grain. And then I, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years and years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. You see, the problem with the rich man was not his money. It was his money was his treasure. He had stored up earthly treasure, and his first thought was about his possessions and what he could buy with them. His possessions made it so he had ample food and ample goods for many years to eat, drink, and be merry. And he gave no thought about tomorrow. You know what he did not really give thought to, though? He gave no thought to God. Jesus ended this parable with these words. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself who is not rich towards God. That's Luke 12, 21. You see, the rich man's money had him. God didn't. So, Jesus talked about earthly treasure and he compared that earthly treasure to heavenly treasure. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Those words of Jesus are found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. And what does that mean? How do I store up treasure in heaven? It means my bank account should reflect heaven. Do they really have a you know a Fort Knox inside the pearly gates? No, they don't need one, right? Should I give my money to God? Yes. All my money belongs to God. All of my money should be his. But wait, what had, if, if all the money belongs to God, then what treasure did the man find in the field? Jesus actually tells us, if we read it slow, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then his joy, he goes out and sells everything he has and buys it. That's, that's Matthew 13, 44. We read it. The kingdom of heaven. What's the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is salvation. It's the promise of forgiveness. It is the promise of eternal, eternity in heaven with God Almighty. Heaven's just on the other side. What would you give to get to the other side? What would people give to get to the other side? What's interesting is, Jesus tells us the price to get to the other side. He tells us about a treasure that is buried in the field, and the only way to get that treasure... Is, it, is to buy the field 
And the only way to buy the field is to sell everything he has. Everything you have. It will cost you everything to get into heaven. What do you have that God wants? The fact is, he owns all the hills, all the valleys. He doesn't need your possessions. So what do you have that he wants? He wants you. He wants all of you. Why? Because you're so precious to him that he gave his only begotten son to own to have you. So for us sitting here today, how does this apply to the lives we live in this dark, dark world? You have to become a place that holds an item of great value. You hold the spirit of God in you. Inside you. You are his temple. You are his light to a world that does not know him or has turned their back on him. Now why would God use that imagery of image? I can't even say it. Imis, help me out guys. Thank you very much. Of a temple to describe us. Well, just like Fort Knox captures the imagination, the temple in Jerusalem captured the imagination of the people of that day. The Jewish historian Josephus, I love his readings, right? And he reported that the temple in Solomon, the second temple, not even Solomon's temple, the second temple, was, was covered on all sides by massive plates of gold. Go read the book, Josephus. And when the sun struck it, it was so radiant and so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes from the sun rays. It was like an absolute golden mirror on the temple. Josephus records this. That's what they were looking at. The temple of God was a wondrous thing. And in the Old Testament, the temple was where God dwelt. But when Jesus came, that all changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16 declares, You are now, I'm going to add in the now, God's temple, God's spirit dwells in you. God doesn't need a physical temple anymore because you and I are it. He dwells in us. In the days of Jesus, for example, in the Old Testament temple, it was divided into two rooms. The first room was called the holy place. That's where the table of showbread, the candlestick, the altar, and the incense were housed. And in the back room, where the Ark of the Covenant was, was called the Holy of Holies. And between the two rooms was a veil, a hanging cloth. It, it, actually, they recorded it as about 10-inch thick cloth. That it was ten inches thick. You got them. It's like a cloth wall. It was that heavy, right? It was, and it 
signified the separation of God from man because God was holy and man was not. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible records that the veil was rent in two. It's in God's holy word to tell you. It was rent in two. The veil tore. Now we're going to look into the first room. The first room is called the holy place. It held a table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and the altar of incense. One of the first pieces of furniture that catches my eye, so I'm going to bring it to your attention, is the table of showbread. This is the place where the priest ate the bread in the presence of God. That's what they did in there. For you sitting here today, allow me to give you something to ponder, to, to, that might stretch you. The Bible records you are a priest. Yes, you are. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let me read it to you. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may be declare praises of him, you who are called out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. And you do eat bread in the presence of God. Yes, you do. It's called communion. Every time we eat and drink communion, we are eating and drinking in the presence of God. Secondly, across from the table of showbread is the golden lampstand. And what does a lampstand do? It gives light. What do we Christians give light to? And where do we get our light? That's a better question. We get it from the Bible. Psalms 119.105, write it down for later, tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The Bible sheds light so we can see what's important. It lights up the dark corners of our heart. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 12 through 13 tells us, For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing into the division of the soul, the heart, the mind, the spirit, the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Scripture cuts away the barriers that we erect to justify ourselves and exposes the excuses we make to hide from God. And when we really read the Bible, it makes our hearts naked before God. God's word does that like nothing else can do. If you're not reading it, 
You're wasting your time. Now there's another piece of this room that I wish you'd examine. It's called the altar of incense. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 8, we are told that the incense offered up by the angels were the prayers of the saints. Now this is going to stretch you a little bit now. Thus, when we pray, we are offering up a sweet incense into the presence of God. Speaking of prayer, David wrote, before he was king, David wrote, Test me, O Lord, and try and examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. That's Psalms 26, verses 2 and 3. David prayed for God to examine him. He asked the Lord to test him. Any of you that brave to ask the God to give you a test? so that he did not miss anything. That's what David said. So I don't want to miss anything. Self-examination is good. And the Bible's examination of us is better. But ultimately, ultimately, our examination of our souls is done through prayer. And lastly in the room is the curtain. It's behind the curtain. That's called the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God dwelt. Now, of course, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says all that's changed. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price so that you may glorify God with your body. No, those words of Paul are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. You don't belong to yourself. You were paid for, bought. The Spirit now dwells within us if we've asked Jesus into our heart into our innermost being of our heart. And he gives you strength to change your life. To make it more holy and acceptance in the presence of God. But the Spirit also gives you strength to stand for God in harsh and difficult world that you and I live in. So that you can be, you can do holy things in the midst of a sinful atmosphere. So as we start to close, because we got to get all the fathers out of here for Father's Day lunches. How many guys have got special lunches? How many you got a crock pot that's got something really good in it? I do take leftovers. <laughs> but um, don't worry, I'm just starting. People have been burying their treasures for centuries. Back in the biblical times, Bible times, a lot of people buried their precious things in their backyard. Palestine was a land bridge between Egypt and the other great empires of the north. And the northern armies and the nations, they would often, it's called the Crescent Circle. They went through, that's where they went through. And, let's be honest, 
When war broke out, it, it, they would sweep through their back and forth. So they'd be rampaging and they'd be robbing and they were pillaging everything in their path as the armies went back and forth. And of course, there was also common thieves. You had that problem too. And there was no banks. You did not have banks like we have banks nowadays. That wasn't until you had the Knights Templar that came up with the first banking system. So people would bury their treasure in the ground or in walls or in tree trunks or wherever they could to hide it when they had too much treasure. And finding those buried treasures, well, could be difficult. Now hear this out. There was an occasional earthquake. The Middle East has lots of earthquakes. And there was sometimes the owners would have to leave home and never be come back because of wars and rumors of wars and famines, right? And the owners might be captured by invading armies or die suddenly. Any number of reasons. This is important for later here now, but bear with me. As a result, these family treasures would be buried and forgotten about for centuries. So as you can imagine, now I want you to imagine this and hear this out. Many of Jesus' disciples either knew of someone who had buried treasure or they themselves had buried treasure. They understood this parable like we do not grasp it. This is what they did. They did not just leave it in their house. They had no way to store it. They buried it. Jesus was using what they knew about telling a parable bubble out a man who had found a treasure in the field. A missionary in Palestine told of workmen who were digging up a garden and these workmen found several copper pots of gold which they stole and hid. Which in Israel, anytime you dig, you got to have the antiquities in Palestine, you got to have the, you have the, the antiquities have to be there. Right? But they hid them somewhere. And, but they couldn't keep their mouths shut. You know, dumb people are really still just dumb people, right? And so the governor of that city caught them. That they're called governors, not mayors, just so you know, right? And they had them arrested, and they managed to come up with two pots of gold containing 8,000 some odd coins. Pure gold in their cover. They're actually in the museum that I, when I went to Israel, I got to see all these coins, right? And, but what happened after they found these 8,000 coins in Palestine is people spent their entire life fortunes buying metal detectors going out and trying to all find more gold coins. People went broke trying to find earthly treasures. People who couldn't afford to buy a metal detector were buying metal detectors. And metal detectors, you know what happens when the price, everyone wants something? Remember when toilet paper was really popular, prices went right through the roof? Well, metal detectors did the same thing. People went broke, searching for worldly stuff. Well, we have the most precious thing possible in our hearts. We have become the temple of the Most High God. And part of the Trinity dwells in us. That's why you can see the world around you is in chaos. God's Holy Spirit enables you to see what troubles going around us. You're like, why doesn't everybody else see this? It's common sense. No, it isn't common sense. It's the prompting of the Holy Spirit to show you what's coming. Have you ever talked to some of your friends and they just think you're crazy? Well, no offense you are, but that's okay. 
To the world, you're crazy. God's spirit does not go with the world. And his prompting and his leading, if you're listening to a still quiet voice, you can see the problems coming. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. But also, remember that you don't get to take it with you. What, ha- what d- owns you? Does your treasure own you or does God own you? Great question. The rich fool was going to build a great big barn. That night he was going to die. Never built his barn, never got to do anything. I get weaving. They're telling me it's time to go to feed him. So we need to close in prayer. Are you going to take Grandpa to lunch? She's waving. I don't know what they're going to have, but she's excited. Fathers, you are the treasure of this nation. You are the treasure of God. Being a father in today's world is not easy. And we thank you for being godly fathers. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you have blessed us in so many ways. You have blessed us beyond what we know. For some, you saved us from the the, the door of death. For some, you're easy in our passage. For others, you've supplied friends and family. For others, you've just been a companion. Today, Father, we thank you for being our Father and giving us what we need, not what we want. For like a child, we want everything. You give us what we need. You guide us on a path to keep us straight and true. And for that, Father, we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen.